Oh, welcome once again to Cave of the Cross Apologetics. I'm Patrick. I'm Tony. And uh, we're towards the later half of our, <laughs> our book. Uh, we're we're going to have to start looking at what to cover next. But uh, before we count our chickens, uh, we're going through <laughs> Greg Hochul's tactics book, A Game Plan for Discussing Your Christian Convictions. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we've been kind of talking uh, one of our favorite subjects, the presuppositional route, who the presuppositionalists who assume the conclusion before it's time. Oh, man. <laughs> so uh, um, presuppositionalism is, is uh, kind of an apologetic method where uh, we understand how people approach anything is important yeah. and it's important to look at. So if you're having a discussion with somebody, uh, making sure that uh, you're identifying uh, where you're both coming from, what, what, what you bring to the table, how you're looking at things is important. And so that's what we mean by the presuppositional approach. And, and a lot of people uh, sometimes don't like it, but it's, it's something that we all have to deal with, especially when you get to things like the problem of evil, a, a lot of, your classical and evidentialist turn into presuppositionalists. And so um, we've been kind of going uh, uh, through and figuring out how to, how to kind of talk to people who, um, who might have uh, uh, different presuppositions than us that yeah. we should want to identify, <clears throat> making sure that uh, we have, um, uh, that we're not bringing something to the table that shouldn't be there, challenging when, when it's brought and it's not a, a formal contradiction. Uh, and then also we covered um, people that want to just interrupt. And so yeah. we're, we're kind yeah. of uh, mixing that in. And so um, today uh, we're, we're talking about Chapter 15, The Road Scholar. The Road so, Scholar. That's right. Wow, okay. So, so. we're, we're going <clears> to <throat> challenge the, the big names. We're, we're, we, we, us, us uh, uh, undoctorated people, get to challenge the doctors and uh, say, well, that goes against me. So I, I, don't, I don't want you to talk about that. Or... Something along those lines. Yeah, so, yeah. so um, uh, Greg Hochul kind of uh, uh, brings about this chapter with saying, uh, "Don't don't you find it weird that uh, during Christmas and Easter time, there's a lot of articles that suddenly get written about how Jesus never existed or right. 22 reasons why the Christ real never, story about Jesus <laughs> never right, rose right. from the dead? Yeah, oh, the why, real story about yeah. Easter. Yeah. Why is that? <laughs> and so." You, you kind of look at the headlines and, you know, uh, uh, people never read the story. And, and oftentimes they say experts say. Yeah, experts you know? say, or most scholars say, <laughs> Jesus right. never walked on water. It just yeah. means by the water. And it's like, <laughs> where is yeah. that coming from? Well, they, the, the Jesus seminar, and they put little pebbles in a bowl. And so the, the pebbles represent how many people think Jesus actually walked on the water. So, <laughs> so That's a way to find truth. Just count noses. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> peer review. That's peer review right there. So what do you do when uh, academic opinion is not on your side? Mm. Whatever academic opinion might mean. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, we want to use uh, what Greg Kokel calls the road scholar approach. The road mm. scholar being kind of uh, this uh, learned person, but also questioning why is that person learned? Yeah. In what way? In what capacity? In what field are they talking about? Are they speaking outside their field? So the purpose of the road scholar approach is to assess whether an appeal to an authority is legitimate or not. Mm. I mm. say a scholar says this. <clears throat> Can I can I understand what that person's saying? Uh, are they speaking in their field? Are they speaking outside their field? Because as we all know, everyone has a podcast now, and so everyone <laughs> has right. an opinion on everything. That's right. So are, are we are we using our scholars appropriately? And do we can, can we kind of uh, uh, question the scholar him or herself, and and then on top of that, question what they're saying? Yeah. So so this is kind of interesting because you know. A lot of what we what we believe we know is is based on authority, 
right? It's based on sure. what scholars, I mean, you know, take, for instance, uh, you know, how many planets are there in our solar system? Well, you know, they say there are eight, right? <laughs> they, when I was a kid, there were nine, right. but they kicked Pluto out. I right. guess it's just a dwarf planet now it's, or it's, something. So right? they don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, that's what the experts tell us. And we, we I mean, we, what do we do? We accept it, right? Because that's what they say. Sure. So an awful, awful lot of things that we believe uh, is based on authority, right? I mean, uh, you know, if, if someone was to say, so, Tony, how do you know that's your real name? <laughs> well, well, let's I, see. Uh, you know, well, that's what my mom said. Oh, so that's, a, you know, that's that's an authority, right? I mean, that's that's an authority. Or I might say, well, that's what the birth certificate says. Well, wait a minute. That's what they told me the birth right. certificate. You were switched at birth. That's not really your name. <laughs> right? And so awful lot of things are that we believe are based on authority. So the issue here is, so what is the... What is the problem with, you know, this issue of authority? And so that's that's uh, what he wants us to, to deal with in this particular chapter, right? How, how do we handle it, especially if an authority uh, doesn't seem to agree with what we believe is the case, right? What do we do about that? And, I mean, do we automatically accept everything that a person who claims to be an authority uh, says, right? So, um so, so he comes up with uh, this, as you mentioned, this tactic, Rhodes Scholar, mm-hmm. right? Right. So this tactic hinges on the difference between, and notice this, informing and educating, mm-hmm. right? So he wants us to understand that particular distinction. Are we being informed or are we being educated, right? And so what is the distinction here? Well, he says when an article tells you what a scholar believes, then you've been informed. The scholars believe this. That's information you've been informed. But he says when an article tells you why the scholar holds that that view, then you've been educated, right? And so, in other words, uh, you cannot know if if the reasons are adequate unless for the conclusions unless you know what those reasons are, mm-hmm. right? So, being uh, educated is really just. Uh, knowing the reasons behind a particular position. And so we get right back to this whole idea of argument, right? You recall he said an argument is kind of like a house. The conclusion right. is the roof, and the reasons are um, the walls are reasons that support the roof, mm-hmm. right? He's getting back at the same idea here, right? right? So when we're considering what a an authority says, we have to ask ourselves, okay, fine, what's the reason for why they say that? Otherwise, we're just being informed and we're not being educated, right? And we want to be educated. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) And so he says popular articles, you know, they do inform us, but they don't always educate us. Right. So Mm -hmm. we're talking about the things like, uh, you know, most scholars agree that Jesus never walked on water. Uh, that's that's the the information you've been right. informed, right? But what they don't tell you is that it comes from the Jesus seminar, and they hold it because, well, we don't really think Jesus did a whole lot of miracles. Yeah. So. In fact, none. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, so because miracles can't happen, right? right? And yeah. so they make that assumption. That's a presupposition that Ooh. they work from, yeah. and therefore, as a result of that, they say, "Of course, Jesus didn't walk on water." Right. Right. You know. <laughs> so, um, so the question is then, how do you find out if an authority has been compromised? Mm, you know, mm. uh, are they, are they are they speaking from um, you know a position where they they can speak from that they studied this, or you know are they they kind of um, uh, using their position to talk about something else, or mm. uh, you know what just what are the reasons behind the conclusions that they came to? So those are kind of two two ways we can figure out if 
if uh, something's been compromised. And compromise here just kind of means like, you know, they're, they're speaking outside of what the, the, the facts of the matter might be. So. Or at least uh, speaking outside of their area of, of uh, expertise. expertise. Sure. Yeah. 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 So uh, regardless of the scholar's credential, it's always okay to ask for reasons. Yeah. Why, why do you hold that? Why, yeah. why, why, why was that the conclusion? Yeah. So we, when we talk about planets, it's, you know, uh, why, why did we kick out Pluto? Yeah. Well, Pluto's kind of this dwarf planet. And if we counted Pluto in the same way that we uh, counted other things that we've classified Pluto as, we'd actually have more planets. Oh, yeah. Okay, right. so... All that these might... large asteroids yes. would have to count, right. be counted. Yeah, yeah. so, yeah. That, you know, they have, they, have, they have their versions of moons, their orbits matches Pluto's, and so uh, we want to maybe narrow down what our, our definition of a planet is. Okay, now I've been informed, so how many planets there are and the reasons behind it. Yeah. So, yeah. great, that's, that's what we want to do. Yeah. And so yeah. it's not just, Neil deGrasse Tyson said that there should be eight, and so... <laughs> there That's you go. it. Yeah. 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 Right. <laughs> so don't uh, settle for opinions either. You know, the, um, uh, I, I hate to pick on Neil deGrasse Tyson, but he's so prevalent in, in everything else. So, uh, you know, uh, you know uh, how accurate of our science in, should be in our movies. Well, let's talk to Neil deGrasse Tyson. Well, what might be scientific might not always be entertaining. So yeah, yeah, what, what, what yeah. position does he have on? Yeah. We on the, all have, uh, yeah. you know, opinions about right. what's entertaining, right? right? He yeah. has his opinions. We have ours. Yeah. Okay, fine. Yeah. I'm not an expert in it. And I don't think he's an expert in what's in it. Although he's probably getting really good at it. With, <laughs> <Right>. now. <laughs> so with don't settle show. for opinions. This is the key to, to world scholar. There's yeah. nothing wrong with appealing to authority, but it must be done in the right way. Mm. So that's one of the things where uh, uh, people, uh, like, uh, oh, that's a straw man argument. People kind of use the, oh, that's just an appeal to authority. Mm-hmm. Well, if the authority is an authority, yeah. then it's okay to talk about that. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, hey, hey, mom, what's my name? Yeah. Well, since you named me, that's yeah. a good yeah. person yeah. to go to She's for my authority, authority. And she has a real good yeah. reasons now why we, you're, that, right. that's your name. We, she named you. Right. right. And so, you know, <clears throat> maybe your mom didn't know that you were switched at birth and it wasn't any nefarious. And we have the best idea, but your name's not really Tony. Yeah. Oh man, that'd be, that'd be awkward. But yeah. uh, that's when we get into things like, um, are you warranted to your belief and defeaters and, and stuff like that? And that's probably uh, another topic. <laughs> <laughs> so there's nothing wrong to appealing authority, but it has to be done right. You must ask, why should I believe this person's opinion? Mm. And so, mm. uh, you know, that, that's another thing is, is the difference between what someone is offering for kind of a scholarly perspective and whether or not it's an opinion. Mm, mm, yeah. So why should I believe this person's opinion? So, you know, um, Coco says that there are at least two ways to answer this query, right? Why should I believe a person? First, you know, the scholar may be in a special position to know the facts, mm-hmm. right? So that's a good reason to believe their opinion. You know, they may be in a particular, uh, it may be an area of their expertise, and so they know the facts about, you know, the particular issue. Right. So notice if an authority is in possession of special information that guides his counsel, then we should be able to point to that evidence to, con- or he should be, or she should be able to point to that evidence uh, to convince us that they're on the mark, right? In other words, if it's an area of their expertise, they should be able to give us reasons why they hold that particular mm-hmm. position, right. right? We don't have to to label the entire human genome to be part of the human genome project. Yeah. And we, we can say, okay, this person's did it. They've, they've given us reasons why they've done it in a certain way. So we can say, well, uh, Dr. So-and-so is the one that, that did it uh, and, and has good reasons for it. So we can point to that as kind of a shorthand. You don't have to 
you know, figure out what DNA looks like uh, yourself in order to say, well, most scientists concur the, to the fact that uh, DNA looks like this. Here's a yeah. picture of it. Right. Um, th- this is how they've come up with that, uh, you know, structure and, right. and everything like that. So Yeah, yeah. So yeah. now we have reasons yeah. along right. with what Good. most um, scientists say. DNA looks like double helix. Yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah. Make dinosaurs so, from so, yes, right. <laughs> so with regard to this position, and know, you know, their, um, their area of expertise, there's two issues that he wants us to be aware of, though, when we get these kind of claims, right? Sometimes authorities give opinions that are outside of their area of expertise. And so they're giving an opinion on something that, you know, it's just their opinion. Right. And it's they don't really, they're not as familiar with the facts, maybe, as someone else who is an expert in that particular area. And so we need to be aware of that, right? If, if a, he, he gives an illustration here about, um, I think it was uh, a particular bill that a bunch of scientists were supporting, Right. And this is what he says. He says, I scanned the comments and credentials. It occurred to me uh, that these Nobel laureates, you know, in science, Mm -hmm. like biology, chemistry, and medicine, uh, they uh, didn't qualify as a person to render sound counsel on economics or ethics. So these scientists were making economic and ethics claims that it weren't as part of their expertise, Mm -hmm. right? So the first issue that we need to be aware of is sometimes authorities give opinions that are outside of their area of expertise. So they're they're kind of uh, relying on borrowed capital is how I would call it. So they've got uh, the, the, the doctor in front and all the letters in back. And they say, I'm an expert in, you know, microbiology. And so you should listen to me about what we should do about the environment. That's right. Or well, hold on. Or ethics. Uh, yeah. or, or economics. Right. right? Are, you, are you a doctor of the forest? I'm, <laughs> I'm unsure of why you're speaking on this. Yeah. And that's not to say that people can't have opinions. Right. It's saying, can they utilize their capital of being a doctor or a scholar or an educator? Or or, or yeah, a, yeah. To, to speak on that specific thing that we would say. Doctor, therefore, he's speaking on his his field of expertise. Yeah, yeah, good. So that's one issue. The second issue he wants us to be aware of is that even when scholars do speak within their field of authority, right, their field of expertise, they still owe us an accounting based on some good reasons for believing why they hold the position they believe. And so we need to, you know, hold them to the fire in, in, in the same way that we hold uh, anyone else, right? right? Why, why do you believe that that's the case? Right? As, as a quote here from Norm Geisler says, all appeals to authority ultimately rest on the evidence that the, th- the authority has. The letters after his name don't mean a thing without the evidence <laughs> to back up his position. You go, <laughs> you go Norm. Yeah. So yeah, so that's, that's uh, um, again, it's, it's always okay to question, figure out where they're coming from. Uh, you know, the, the, the whole um, 98% of all scientists say that climate change is occurring. Of, of climate scientists and what type of climate scientists. And yeah. then, uh, you know, if, if the, if, if it's just stops there, then there's no qualification of what do they mean by, yeah. uh, you know, it, if you just say climate changes, well, how many people are going to actually say so, no to that? Yeah. So 98, so we've been informed, right? Right. But we want to be educated. Yeah. We want education. <laughs> yeah. we, we want the, the, not, not the numbers, but also the, why the numbers. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, so there, there's a, a second avenue that uh, that we ask here for uh, the Rhodes Scholar tactic, and that's why should I believe this person's opinion? 
and uh, it can be answered. Uh, sometimes a scholar is in a unique position to render judgment. Um, more than mere facts are in play here. Interpretation and professional assessments are factors. So, right. the, uh, kind of you kind of have to uh, dig a little deeper here than uh, maybe what they're they're asking you. Your your uh, you know you can do this for Christian scholars. So mm-hmm. uh, you can say that uh, Gary Habermas, uh, uh, who studied the New Testament. Uh, um, uh, evidences say that Jesus rose from the dead. Okay, great. But but why? Well, good thing Gary Habermas has, uh, you know, something like 16 points, but he only needs four. He's, he's, he's super good at, uh, at explaining just how many he needs, the the, the kind of the bare facts uh, to show the resurrection. So right. he can get to four. If you give him the four, he can still prove the resurrection happens. Yeah. But he's got more than that. And so that's the, that's the cool way of doing that. But again, we can do this not just for secular scientists, but we can do it for anybody, mm-hmm. anybody with any credential, you know, or even saying like, I'm an expert because I've studied, uh, in my uh, spare time astronomy. So I don't have to have, uh, gone to school, but I've looked up the night sky. I can tell you exactly what a, a, a binary star does and, and the, the, you know, the, the tint and color and everything like that. Uh, again, right. not just, you know, we're not considering just because a person is expert, but again, we want to know, we have the reasons why that they believe right. what the, what, right. or the position that they hold. Why it helps to inform us more about yeah. how we know what we know. Yeah. Yeah. So, so notice he's making this distinction between those who have an expertise in a particular area. They know the facts and those scholars who are in a, a good position to have a, a judgment. So judgments go beyond facts, right? They're interpretations of, uh, of the facts that are involved. Mm-hmm. Right? So that's, that's the distinction he's trying to make here. And so what do we, how do we handle this issue of, you know, when they're making interpretations of the fact? What, what facts? What do we do about that? Well, he says, in this circumstance, you face kind of another pitfall. Right? A scholar's judgment may be uh, distorted by underlying philosophical considerations mm. that are not always on the table. Hey, in other right. words, you know, they may be biased in a, in a particular situation, sure. right, in some kind of way. And so here, uh, you know, one's destination, right, is predetermined, we might say, by where they start. Sure, right. <laughs> yeah, we, we talked about that, that uh, kind of roadmap. Uh, you're wanting to travel down the roadmap to see if uh, if the directions that they give you take you off into some weird area, mm, and right. so you you kind of the reductio ad absurdum. And so this one is is saying, well, actually, where do you start on the map? Yeah. That's that's an important point. Yeah. yeah. And uh, in in what in what direction would you travel? <laughs> and go east, or you can go west. Right. Just going east takes a lot longer than going west sometimes. <laughs> and uh, and he he makes a point here that uh, this problem is especially evident in the. Um, you know, in science where subjects like the development of life, Darwinism, or the origin of the universe, cosmology, have worldview implications, sure, yeah. right? Because, you know, again, where you start with some of these questions kind of determine where you're going to end right. up, you yeah. know? <laughs> um, we talked about this, too, with um, with Jay Warner Wallace in our interview, who we, asked, who we said, you know, uh, since you believe in the supernatural, then if someone says a demon killed this person— could, could that be possible? And he says, well, if I'm being completely honest, yes, that's completely on the table. But I always look at the natural means first in order to to uh, kind of uh, start out my investigation. And if all natural uh, abilities are taken away, yeah. then, yeah, where else do you go? Yeah. So right. you can you can kind of have a, 
uh, naturalism of the gaps, if you want. <laughs> that that uh, well, we just got to wait and see, and maybe we'll come up with new naturalistic explanations for right. things. But uh, nature did it, yeah. but we don't know how. Right, yeah, naturalism yeah. of the gaps. And, and right. so we get this when we talk about the the origin of life or the beginning of the universe. Uh, you know, the the uh, time is infinite because it's uh, expanding and collapsed so many times that uh, we're just <laughs> in this infinite loop. And then you have to talk about two different versions of time, right. and you're like, well. Are you deriving time because you need that to work your model so that you kind of uh, have this uh, unoriginating, you know, first cause? Right. Or, or you know, is there is there a measurement out there that you're saying, well, here's time one, but here's time two that's that's off, and there's two different times there. So what what are the the kind of the the reasons for having that? And sometimes it's just, well, I need the model to keep working. So I'm, I, it, it has to be this because then the model will be broken. We yeah. have to start all over. <laughs> we don't want to do that. <laughs> uh, so um, kind of there's, um, there's kind of these uh, two faces of science he talks about. And he says, uh, whenever you hear the complaint, uh, creation is not science or uh, something about, uh, um, uh, you know, intelligent design is just religion snuck in, mm -hmm. right? That, that, back in the, the 90s, we, we, we kind of got a taste of that when judges somehow ruled that intelligent design was religion. Yeah. Uh, uh, and uh, actually, we probably progressed way farther now than we ever have. Um, uh, and there's really good books out there for that. Um, so whenever we hear something like creation is not science, a sub subtle philosophical sleight of hand is in play. Mm. The charge capitalizes on the ambiguity between two different definitions of science. Mm. And if you took uh, um, kind of a walkthrough in Answers in Genesis or, um, uh, um, you know, uh, Jason Lyle's Biblical Science Institute, um, you kind of understand this already. So the, the kind of the first definition is the most well-known science is the methodology, mm. right? Yes. It's uh, uh, theory, uh, hypothesis, uh, experimentation, yeah, right. testing, conclusion, yeah. uh, or revolution, uh, you know, revising your, 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 um, uh, any one of those right. can be revised. Uh, so you're employing various tools like observation, experimentation, testing that allows researchers to discover facts about the world. Mm. Any view that does not follow the right methodology is not science. Right. And so uh, that's just a, a matter of definition. So mm. you're, you're, you're saying this is the definition that uses this method and anything outside of that, like um, healing crystals. Right. So <laughs> healing crystals might be true, but since it's outside of that scope of science, it's not science right. as a methodology. Right. So that's kind of the, the uh, first definition of science. Science has to do with methodology, the method of how uh, the scientist does what they, you know, go through what they do. But there's another second definition of science that he tells us, and this one has to do with um, philosophy, <laughs> you know, specifically, he says the philosophy of naturalistic materialism, right? So what is naturalistic materialism? Well, notice naturalistic has to do with nature and material has to do with, you know, physical things. Mm -hmm. So it's the basic idea here that nature or the physical universe, physical things are all that exist. That's the, that's the idea. Right. That's the philosophy behind he calls the second definition of science. And so all phenomena must be explained in terms of matter and energy governed by natural law. Mm -hmm. Right. If because that's if only physical things exist, then that's what you have to work with. Right. And he says any view that does not conform to the second definition then is considered not science. Right. 
right? So that's kind of the second view here of, of science. Right. right. And we talked about this uh, in um, how, to, how to Be an Atheist by Mitch Stokes. Uh, we covered a, a large portion of that, so I don't have one video to kind of link to you in, in the uh, in the cards there, but um, but you can go back and, and search for naturalism and uh, look for anything with Mitch Stokes there. Um, and, and so, yeah, so that that's that's what's being brought to the table is uh you know when you talk about uh well does the soul exist and so you say well uh it's an immaterial thing that that uh helps uh you know govern your actions and and you know you get into um figuring out what the definition of it is but you can't do it through science no that's very true because science has has limitations such as uh talking about the observable world things of nature things that uh you know you can measure and test and recheck and so um, when you say the soul doesn't exist, well, right. But according to naturalistic materialism, because you don't allow anything outside the bounds. Mm. So it's, it's like saying, you know, um, uh, an apple isn't a melon. Mm-hmm. So therefore apples don't exist. Well, sure. You have muskmelon, watermelon, you know, mm-hmm. cantaloupe, even though it doesn't say melon in it. Okay. Well, those things are melons. And so when you're measuring the concept of melons, you're not allowing certain things. And so those are outside your, your scope of your definitions. <laughs> definitions are important. Labels are important. Um, but th- that's when we say, you know, science can't talk about who God is. Well, that's true because science doesn't allow for non-material things like God uh, to, to kind of be brought into the equation. There's At least there's, under this definition. Right, right. right. There, there's no, there's no, uh, uh, uh robe of God that you can clip off and say, this is proof of, of God or That's something right. along those lines. Yeah. You might not want to touch his robe. Yeah. Either. Right. <laughs> I hear bad things happen. <laughs> uh, so uh, there are two requirements then for an investigation of the natural world to qualify as science, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. First one must use the right methods, right? The, mm-hmm. the guess check. Well, I guess we should never say guess for uh, hypothesis. It's a hypothesis, not <laughs> guessing. Uh, you're trying to make the best inference to the explanation. Mm-hmm. And so you're, you have to use the right methods. And second, one must come up with the right kinds of answers, those consistent with materialism, mm-hmm. at least under kind of the common parlance of, of what we understand as science. Right. And usually these two elements are not in conflict, right? If we want to get to the man in the moon, we shoot him off of the rocket and we use math, although there are suppositions the there to the moon not in the moon well you know it depends on how far in yeah <laughs> <laughs> and so yeah uh, you know you're using uh, materials figure out burn rate uh, uh you know tensile strength of materials uh, all the, all that stuff uh, to 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 work together that's what you want mm. but sometimes they're not compatible mm. so mm. what do we what do we do yeah. when we talk about that yeah so for instance um <clears throat> the origin of life right and, and even the incredible biological diversity of the living world consistently, it seems, defy any naturalistic explanation, mm-hmm. right? And so, you know, instead, powerful and persuasive empirical evidence points, he suggests, to design, right? right? right. And so, you know, when there's a conflict between methodology and materialism and you hold these two definitions, what happens is for Materialist, the philosophy always trumps the facts, right? So it goes uh, over and above what you get from the methodology, mm-hmm. right? In other words, if the methodology seems to be pointing toward a soul, <laughs> right, or, you know, some kind of design in nature, well, 
my philosophy, my materialistic, naturalistic philosophy has to trump over what my methodology seems to be claiming as the facts. Right. Right. And so modern science, he tells us, does not conclude um, uh, from the evidence that design is not tenable. It assumes it, he says, prior to the evidence. Right. Um, so you have uh, people like um, uh, Stephen Myers, uh, David Berlinski, mm. David uh, Glettner. Um, they did this really interesting um, kind of sit down with, um, with PBS and they talked about how, uh, as we know more and more about science, the more and more it appears that we're getting away from a non-intelligent uh, entity mm. to, to kind of kickstart it. Like, it, you know, um, whether or not evolution is true or accurate, just talking about the methods to to kickstart life, it's just not there. Mm-hmm. And Stephen Myers is a Christian, obviously. Uh, David Marilinski is not, but he is just, he, he even critiques Darwinism so much so. So just saying, well, if, if I pulled these three scholars, scholars say that Darwin <laughs> is dead. Well, isn't it okay for us to then question, well, what are the reasons why they're yeah, saying that? Yeah. So when we talk about things like information, well, information always comes from a source that is also information. So how do we get information in the world without an informer, right? Kind of, kind of like that. Um, yeah. So, um, questioning where scholars are coming from is is always good. That's it's really what we want. We don't want to just read the headlines. We we want to understand that that that's what our, our goal here is not to just cite the person, but to understand the reasons. So Stephen Meyer says it because da da da. Yeah. And so then you're bringing, you're bringing more to the table in your discussion. Right. So, so, you know, someone might question, well, wait a minute, you know, scientists don't do that. They don't, they don't, you know, they don't say, well, it's, it's the philosophy trumps the facts. They don't do that. Right. <laughs> they, they always go search for truth. And right. so they go to the facts. Everybody is Mr. Spock. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, he gives us, he, he gives us a quote here uh, by Richard Lewinton. Um, and oh, he yeah. says that he was amazingly <laughs> candid about this fact right right? in the new york review of books he made this what he calls stunning admission all right so this is rather a lengthy quote but i think it's oh it's really good yeah yeah Yeah. so notice this is what lewington had to say he said our willingness to accept scientific claims that are against common sense is the key to our to an understanding of the real struggle between science and the supernatural we take the side of science in spite of the patent absurdity of some of its constructs, in spite of the tolerance of the scientific community for unsubstantiated just so stories, because we have a, you ready? Here it is, a prior commitment, a commitment to materialism. It is not that the methods and institutions of science somehow compel us to accept a material explanation of the phenomenal world, but on contrary, uh, that we are forced by our a priori uh, adherence to material causes to create an apparatus of investigation and a set of concepts that produce material explanations. No matter how counterintuitive, no matter how mystifying to the uninitiated. Moreover, that materialism is absolute. We cannot allow a divine a divine foot in the door. <laughs> right. End quote. Yeah. Right. We don't want God in our science. That's right. Right. You want your peanut butter and your chocolate, but you don't want <laughs> chocolate and peanut butter mix. And so the idea here is: notice he's claiming that uh, the philosophy is driving what they do, and right. if there's a conflict between, even if it ends in a 
a, a, a ridiculous kind of, you know, conclusion. You got to take it because you need to hold to your materialistic philosophy. Mm-hmm. Right. And he kind of admits it. Right. right? Yeah. His, uh, uh, we're forced by our a priori adherence to material causes. I mean, that's what we bring to the table. It, right. All science has to be material because that's really all, all we can measure and study. And, you know, that's fine and great and everything. But there are sometimes questions that lead us outside the realm of materialism where we talk about metaphysics. And, I, I, as, you know, we, we talk about this as well. Uh, some scientists don't like metaphysics except when they're actually talking about it. <laughs> because, yeah. again, th- th- that helps to... Um, uh, give us reasons to understand why they're saying the things that they're saying. So um, understanding that scientists might pull from a weird area or, or come to weird conclusions that you're like, well, that doesn't that doesn't seem to imply, you know, uh, the the addition of information when things are breaking down. I'm I'm not sure what that is. Well, that's just yeah. how it has to be because we came to be, and that's right, that's right, just how it right. must happen. That's the way the material right. universe works. And so uh, Coco, you know, kind of uh, ends this uh, uh, this quote. He comments on it here. Mm-hmm. He says, "Here, Lewinton admits that the apparatus of science is geared not to find the truth." whatever it may be, but rather to produce philosophically acceptable answers. Mm -hmm. He openly admits that the game has been rigged. Right. (laughs) Modern science concludes that, uh, modern science does not conclude from the evidence that design is not tenable. It assumes it prior to the evidence. So that's what we're talking about. When when, uh, the attack uh, uh, on creationism or intelligent design comes into play there. So what about if we talk about the "quote unquote" historical Jesus? Yeah. So this is what we yeah. were talking right at the beginning. About, sure. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, you know, J- Jesus never meant to to be a revolutionary. He he never thought he was the Messiah. Uh, you know, go, go through your list of uh, you know uh, Easter or uh, Christmas things, and you know uh, Jesus wasn't born on December twenty fifth. Uh, that doesn't mean too much either. So, you know, what are we talking about when we talk about the historical Jesus? Well, science is not the only field where the game can be rigged. Mm. Mm, interesting. <laughs> this approach has also been applied to the Gospels. Mm. And I will just say, too, it can work for any field that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, you know, if you're talking about uh, the way humans think, I mean, you know, the Jungian perspective, the Freudian perspective, you know, uh, there's there's a lot of discussion about conflict about, you know, what what makes people people kind of deal. And so you're bringing in, in um, uh, philosophical attributions to that as well. Uh, so what, what happens when you talk about the Gospels? Well, uh, whenever someone uses the word scientific to describe the way they look at history, they're signaling that materialistic philosophy governs the process. Uh, you know, so um, uh, G- Jesus couldn't have walked on water because people don't walk on water. Right. Well, so notice again, we this idea of scientific is is trading on this definition of physicalist materialist right. philosophy, right? right? Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's that idea that only science can offer us knowledge, and so it, you know that's that's what, what and we talk science about. When has science has to do with this physicalism, right. this materialism, this naturalism, right. right? So scholars from this school tried to distinguish the Jesus of history from the miracle working Jesus of faith. Mm-hmm. They assume that there is a difference between the two. Why make the the distinction? Yeah. Well, you know, because we can't have Jesus rising from the dead because there are implications to that. Now, you, I guess you could be, uh, you know, I think we kind of joked about this before in one of our past episodes. You could just say, well, I guess dead men sometimes do rise from the dead <laughs> and be completely consistent within the materialist worldview. You just have to then, you know, 
take the assumption that if it happened one time, it can happen again. So someone else comes to you and say, I rose from the dead. Oh, okay. I, I, I guess that's entirely possible within the scope of, of my worldview. And then it gets into, you know, either society breaks down with, with your assumptions that, you know, well, maybe gravity isn't always, you know, three, uh, you know, 3.2 meters per second squared or, or 9.8 meters per second squared. Um, you know, th- th- there are, there are other implications why we don't want to, to, to have that divine foot in yeah, the door. Yeah. Good. And so he says here that in academics, then everyone, has a starting point, sure. whether, you know, it's physical science or the Jesus Seminar folks. In fact, Robert Funk of the Jesus Sem- uh, Seminar makes this clear, right? He says, quote, the Gospels are now assumed to be narratives in which the memory of Jesus is embellished by uh, mythic elements that express the church's faith in him and by plausible fictions that enhance the telling of the gospel story for first century listeners. Well, that sounds like an interview we did <laughs> with Lydia McGrew. Yeah. Dr. Lydia McGrew talks about just this this uh, this fact is that sometimes scholars are, uh, I wouldn't, I would say sometimes embarrassed by the gospels. And so, you know, oh, you don't really believe that. Well, no, you know, it's just the disciples, you know, adding these stories to, to make a, a, a theological point. Mm, so mm, so mm. it probably didn't happen then or this was unlikely. Well, why is that the case? Well, because, you know, and they'll give the reasons and then you can talk about the reasons that they hold those things. And why is that the case? And, and are there good defeaters for, for that? Can we can we um, bring up reasons why that might not be the case and mm. that scripture is trustworthy and, and all that it says? Well, yeah. Um, uh, notice the significance of the starting point. When mm-hmm. an academic begins with naturalism of a series of facts, they fall into place before any genuine historical analysis begins. So if I start out with saying there is no possibility for miracles, okay, Jesus walked on the water. Well, what, what, what could that be saying? Well, no. it, you know, either it didn't happen or maybe it means walked by the water. Mm-hmm. That, that makes sense. So he's kind of walking on the, the shore between the wet sands. So he's kind of walking on the water, but he's yeah. not, you know, out, out there in the middle, you know, commanding the storms to, to stop. Or in Funk's, uh, uh, you know, position. Oh, they've kind of embellished it so that, uh, you know, they can improve their religion or <laughs> right. like that. Yeah. Right, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you die for it, but, you know, uh, you die for the lie. Uh, the resurrection is an invention. The miracles are myths. There is no prophecy in the Bible. The Gospels were written long after the events took place and not by eyewitnesses. Those mm-hmm. are some of the things that are brought in because there are things like prophecy and, and uh, you know, the, the destruction of the temple. Um, you know, that's brought in uh, the book of Daniel. Uh, well, it's got to be written way later. Uh, you know, um, uh, the book of Isaiah has to be written way later because it mentions Cyrus by name. Mm-hmm. We can't have that because that would be kind of a fulfilled prophecy. In yeah. fact, it even talks about Cyrus reading Isaiah and going, whoa, I'm in here. Uh, okay. <laughs> that leads me to more. Here you go, Nehemiah, go build your wall. Good, good luck with that. Yeah, so, so there are implications that we have uh, for for the why. The, the 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 whys are the importance here. It's not just the. Well, I don't think miracles happened. Right. Says scholar, you know, important person. Right. Okay, but why? And so if you if you leave out these things like you know, prophecy, the gospels were written long after. These are these are kind of reasons that you have built into your process because. Uh, you know, no one can tell tell the future. The future isn't written yet. Yeah. Or, uh, so you know, that's the assumption. No that's history. the philosophical assumption, right? right. That they're so making. no one's actually doing science. No one's sitting there and 
you know, hammering on a piece of prophecy and, and uh, oh, nope, sorry, the tensile strength isn't there. Sorry, prophecy defeated. <laughs> and so here we can use the Rhodes Scholar tactic, asking for the scholar's reasons, not just his credentials. Mm -hmm. Credentials are important, sure, but, you know, there are dumb people that make smart points too. Sometimes I make smart points, so not sure. Uh, help us. Uh, so this uh, this helps us flush out this asking for the scholars' reasons helps us to to flush out both the facts and the philosophy that may be corrupting the interpretation of the facts. Mm -hmm. And again, maybe there's no corruption of the facts, but everyone's bringing those those assumptions. And so asking for those assumptions is an important point. And it's it's one of the reasons why presuppositions say. Let's look at the starting facts first to see what we're bringing to the table. Yeah. So at least we're clear on yeah, on, on what's out there. there, so that right. we can all see it and mm -hmm. know what, what we're dealing with. Yeah, and yeah. so that way we can see if we're consistent within it. We can see if we're not allowing, uh, you know. And Nancy Pierce talks about the box of, of reality, and so you put everything in, and things Stick land outside, out, right? <laughs> and so you, you kind of have to like cut off those things and say, well. Uh, there's no such thing as human freedom at all. It's all determinism, and it, because you know it, that 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 fits into the pure naturalistic model of of uh, cause and effect. Right. And so right. you, you you know everything that's an effect is a series of cause. Definitely not to the first cause because you always have the expanding, contracting universe for all eternity. Except we got here. <laughs> except then you bring in two areas of time. So see how how those ideas can can add to uh, your your philosophy. You're not only doing science, you may have good reasons for it, and we can talk about that, but it's not it, its not just a standalone, this, this is what we did, and we, we titrated, and out came this conclusion. Mm -hmm. Okay, materialistically, yes, that's true. Right, Something right, like that. right. It's like, uh, so, you know, you find Joe dead. How, how, was, how was Joe, uh, why did Joe die? Well, a, uh, a piece of metal went through his heart, and that was the cause of Joe's death, right? Well, okay, fine. But what about Fred? Fred had a gun and he <laughs> shot Joe. So the cause of death of of uh, Joe's death is the piece of metal, but it also is Fred murdered him, mm -hmm. right? So now we have two distinctions in terms of causes. So just the physical things, oftentimes, they don't tell the whole story. Right in terms of how to explain something, right? Mm -hmm. Notice the non-physical idea of motivation. We might say that Fred had is is another part of the story that can be left out if we're just looking at the physical. Right. Right. All right. So what he but he wants to be fair here, and I like what he does mm -hmm. near yep. the end here. Right. He says not all bias is equal. Right. Uh, can the charge of bias, he says, be leveled at Christians? Well, certainly. And sometimes the charge is justified. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's not fair, though, to assume someone has distorted the fact simply because he has has a stake in the matter. Just because, you know, a person is a Christian and believes certain things doesn't mean and has a stake in it. Right. Doesn't mean that um, they, uh, you know, they distort the facts right. in order to hold their position. Right? People are not uh, who are not neutral he tells us, can still be fair and impartial, right? And so you have to show that they have uh, faltered by looking carefully at the evidence itself, mm -hmm. right? So yes, people can have these presuppositions, right? They can hold certain positions, but that doesn't automatically mean that they're not making their judgments with regard to the facts. Sure, right? right. And you can do this for, for anybody. Uh, you know, my, uh, I have a um, uh, grant money 
puts me to, you know, um, show uh, self-driving vehicles are, are the wave of the future. And so I'm, I'm getting millions of dollars for it, Ooh, except I find that uh, AI can't distinguish between uh, when to break for an animal or a human. Yeah. Okay, it's, there's trade-offs there. Uh, well, it's not possible uh, at this time, but I still like that funding. <laughs> Maybe I can just say, well, at this time, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Right, right. Uh, and so you can you can talk about, you know, who's funding you and, and stuff like that. So bringing uh, that type of um, bias into it is important sometimes, right, right. but not just because, you know, uh, uh, the, the cigarette manufacturers uh, paid for uh, this person to do a study on whether or not cigarettes were harmful. The person came back and said, yes, they are harmful. Well, okay. Because they paid for it, is, is it still biased? Right. Well, you know, or, or you know, it, it's okay to say, well, they came out and said it's completely fine for you. Smoke up. Okay, <laughs> maybe we can question: are, are they are they just you know are they a, a principled person or are mm-hmm. they you know are they in it for the money, honey? Right, right. So, so uh, an illustration he gives us is kind of you know, and I'll modify it here. Mary thinks that her daughter is really, really smart. <laughs> right. Well, of course she thinks that yeah. she's biased. That's her daughter, right? What we want to do is look at the facts, and we find out that she you know, aced the ACT test. Well, now we have some facts. So notice Mary's bias with regard to this is my daughter. Uh, really doesn't have a whole lot to do with what the facts right. tell us, yeah. right? And so we can be, there can be bias as long as the uh, conclusion that a person is making is based on the facts. That's that's what we want to see. Mm-hmm. And so that's what he's what he's getting at here, right? right? <clears throat> so for instance, the you can, you know, the Jesus seminar folks might claim, well, the reason why the apostles said that is because they're Christians. Of course they're going to say that. They're biased. <laughs> well, wait a minute. Let's kind of examine the facts and see you know, does their claims, you know, adhere to what the facts seem to say? Mm-hmm. So the basic idea, yes, you can have bias, but you still need to work, be concerned about what the facts say. Right. right? Uh, so a theist is not so encumbered. She believes in the laws of nature, but also is open to the possibility of supernatural intervention. Both are consistent within her worldview. So again, that's why uh, another reason it's important to talk about worldview. She can judge the evidence on its own merits, unhindered by a philosophy that automatically eliminates the supernatural uh, options uh, before the evidence receives a hearing. Right. And so, you know, it, it's it's one of those things where then you have to be careful of allowing too much in. Mm. And, and you know, that that's important. But if she's giving reasons, then you can um, have a better understanding of uh, why she would adhere to that position. Mm. Mm-hmm. Just to say, the soul doesn't exist because it's not material, and only material things exist. Well, okay, that's kind of a circular, <laughs> circular a defeater. Yeah. Of, you know, yeah. a, a, a bad circular one too. argument. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, really. Yeah. And so, ironically, the Christian's bias, he says, um, broadens her categories. Right? How is that? Well, it makes her more open, at least open-minded, about what are the possibilities and not not less right she has a greater chance of discovering truth because she can follow the evidence wherever it leads right so if it leads to a um you know a supernatural cause mm-hmm. okay well that the, that the christian then would be open to that right. right in this instance it doesn't it leads to a physical cause okay the christian can be open to that right so notice this is a critical distinction the uh the christian 
can is is we might say uh, allows for more broader explanations to be brought to the table mm-hmm. instead of just a narrow focus on just physical uh, explanations. Right, right. So if if you have a, a, a modern day healing, you know, I I um, I prayed for for me to be able to get out of a, a wheelchair and. Uh, I, 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 I don't have any, uh, legs in my muscles and, um, uh, I stood up and all of a sudden I, I had muscles and I yeah, could walk. And, wow. uh, this is something that we've been praying about for 40 years. And this is an actual case. I, I'm, I'll, I'll put the link in the description for the, the video. And, and you know, this, this, this woman, she gets up and walks and her mom comes over and says, honey, you, you've, you've got muscles in your legs. Well, only a naturalistic explanation can, can do that. We don't, we might not know what it is, but it has to be natural. Right. Why? Well, because I don't want to allow that yeah. divine foot to get in the door. <laughs> That's right. Miracles yeah. can't happen. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, again, but again, we, the Christian would also have to be concerned about. Well, okay, is this uh, is this well documented, mm-hmm. or is this person uh, receiving money for it? So, mm-hmm. Something along mm-hmm. those lines. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one case in particular uh, that I'll link in the description um, um, is completely uh, bizarre in the sense <laughs> that it it defies the uh, you know naturalistic explanation. Right. So uh, ultimately, the issue isn't bias, but distortion, right? Distortion, we, right? That's yeah. what that's what we care about. You right. know, are we uh, is the 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 expert speaking outside of, of where they should be, or are they not allowing certain explanations because uh, they just can't allow for for that explanation to come? Right. In? Or does the bias allow force them to kind of distort the facts, right? right? And look at them differently as yeah. opposed to what they should be looking looked at. Yeah, the way they should be looked at. So it's unsound, for example, to say that because the gospel writers were Christians, their testimony can't be trusted. Mm-hmm. Just as you could say that about any division of any science, you know, right, right. You, you can't trust scientists that uh, believe in the human genome because they're biased. <laughs> well, okay, but if they can show you that, you know, uh, the genome exists and here's how they map it and here are the implications for it, well, that's better reasons to understand where they come from. So just because someone is biased doesn't mean that it's improper bias. Conversely, a non-believer's conclusion should not be dismissed because he is not among the faithful. All atheists lie, therefore (laughs) don't trust anything they say. They're biased. They can't, yeah. Right. Yeah, can't accept what they say. <laughs> well, that's not necessarily the case, <laughs> right. right? So in both cases, we have to look at the reasons themselves. This is the heart of the road scholar mm. asking the questions: Why do they believe that? And mm-hmm. that goes for anybody. Yeah. yeah. Good. So that's the uh, that's the basic idea that he wants us to see with regard to this notion of the Rhodes scholar. Right. We need to know. Uh, not only whether or not the person is an expert, right, in the particular field, but also why they uh, believe what they do about a particular situation. And so we uh, shouldn't be afraid to ask why. We shouldn't be afraid to to be educated as well as informed, right? That's what he's getting at here. This this tactic gives us a tool to use when someone invokes scholarly opinions uh, against our our view. So, Mm -hmm. You know, the experts agree that Jesus never existed. Well, what experts are you talking about? Because not even, a lot of people don't even argue that anymore. <laughs> the, the, the testimony of Jesus' existence is so well attested for, for anything. Um, uh, the Gospels, first and foremost, but then, uh, you know, other people talk about Jesus and the rise of Christianity at, at, uh, at the time that it, it, it rose and, and the weird way that it did, and, um, you know, uh, attest to that. Um, so, again, just because you can say, scholars say, doesn't always mean they say correctly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good. 
Uh, okay, so uh, that's it for uh, for this one. Again, uh, um, check your sources and uh, um, you know uh, t- talk about uh, why why people believe what they believe. Again, presuppositionalism. Everyone engages in presuppositionalism, whether they like it or not. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, uh, next time we're we're kind of going over a shorter chapter, but uh, just as important as well to talk about uh, what people bring to the table. So yeah. hopefully you'll uh, uh, join us on that one and uh, enjoy this one. So thanks. Yep. See you next time.